You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 117. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 117. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, supermoms. I hope that you are doing well, staying healthy out there with the crazy COVID running rampant. And looking forward to February. Maybe we'll get some warmth, some longer days. I don't know. But January just felt like a really long month. This year and last year, I remember that was just went on forever. (laughs) So hopefully things are improving. I've been keeping busy. I've got my mini retreat. That's an in-person event for moms who struggle to prioritize themselves. I'm very excited about it because just the fact that they signed up for the mini retreat means they are learning how to prioritize themselves. So it's like a win before the retreat even begins. And I've also been busy with my leading your teen class. I might have a spot or two left in it. If you are interested, I've got the morning and an evening class. So just go to leadingyourteen.com and you can sign up for a free call with me. We can see if it's a fit for what you're looking for see which one is better, the one-on-one or the group coaching program, but it is a game changer and it's absolutely helpful, informative, but fun. (laughs) It saves your sanity. You get to feel normal and you get to hang out and get support from other wonderful moms. So totally worth doing. Highly recommend you check it out. Coming up in February, I'm also going to be working on my time for the talk class. If you've got a nine to 12 year old and you haven't talked to them about the birds and the bees and how babies are made and puberty and all that stuff, that will be starting soon too. So I'm going to keep him busy. But today we're going to answer a question from Pilar. She says, Tori, my son is so apathetic. He is super smart and very capable, but he doesn't seem to care about doing well in school. I feel like I'm failing because he isn't living up to his potential. Any suggestions for motivating an apathetic teenager? All right, Pilar, thank you so much for the question. Love to have your questions come in. And so today I thought I would start by telling you the good news. The good news is that not one of us ever lives up to our potential. It is impossible. We only use such a small percentage of our brain. There's so much more we're capable of that really we can let that one go. We always have more in the tank. There's always more we can do and give. So the fact that your teenager isn't living up to their potential, I think, is all right. But we want to address your question. So let's talk about apathy. What is it? Apathy is defined as showing or feeling no enthusiasm, interest, or concern. So I want to rewind that and say it again. Apathy can be showing no enthusiasm, interest, or concern. 
Does anybody know a teenager out there who doesn't show enthusiasm, interest, or concern? Doesn't mean they don't feel it. (laughs) They might just not want to show it. Other kids might not be showing it or feeling it. Okay, so we want to just recognize that they can exist separately. Now, apathy can be a sign of mental health problems. So Pilar didn't include a lot of information in her question. So it's hard for me to tell if depression is a factor. So I just want to give everyone who's listening who might have an apathetic teen some signs to look for. One, lack of motivation. Two, lack of empathy. Three, a drop in grades. Four, changes in appetite. That could be eating more or eating less. Five, trouble sleeping through the night. Six, feeling tired all the time. Seven, inability to enjoy things that used to be fun. And eight, sadness, crankiness, irritability that lasts throughout the day. So if there's something going on emotionally and it's affecting school and other parts of your child's life, then it's important for them to talk to somebody safe and trusted about it. Moms and dads usually are not the best people to talk to about depression because, oh, we tend to feel we're so enmeshed and so identified. And we're just not the best people to help with a mental health issue because we're too entangled. It's probably the best word to use there. So from my experience, there are other common reasons a child may appear apathetic and maybe feel apathetic and be unmotivated to do well in school. So let's talk about those today because I have done other episodes about motivation. It seems to be a popular topic. I talked about a lazy teenage sloth. I talked about how to motivate ourselves as moms and a motivation to do homework after school. I think it's been a common topic. So I'm going to take a different approach to it. And I want to talk about why a child or a teenager might appear to be apathetic and unmotivated to do well in school. So the first reason is that they just aren't interested in school. When the subjects we learn in school aren't inherently interesting to us, then external motivations can often carry us through. So maybe your child doesn't care about Greek mythology, but they do care about sticker charts, getting benched at recess, or helping their group, their team get a good grade. So Motivation can come from lots of places. It can come from wanting to please your teacher or wanting to, you know, not miss out on recess. (laughs) So for some kids, no amount of peer pressure, rewards, or external motivation can override a lack of interest. This is especially common in kids with ADHD. They can hyper-focus on things that interest them, but have a really hard time making themselves do boring work. So remember that with ADHD, there isn't always hyperactivity. And so you might just have a kid who is calm in their body, but spaced out a lot and not really tuned in to what the teacher is saying. And so they can look bored and apathetic, but they might have a very active imagination happening inside their heads, and they might be totally thinking about something that is of great interest to them. So 
that's where we want to say it might appear apathetic. They might be apathetic. We don't know. So the number one reason besides mental health issues that your child might be unmotivated is they're just not interested in what schools have to teach. Number two, perfectionistic thinking is keeping your child from going all in. So many of us struggle with black and white thinking without even knowing it, right? Perfectionism is like a really bad term sometimes because people associate it with like having a perfectly clean house or, you know, being super organized, but it's really black and white thinking, kind of an all or nothing. So for kids unmotivated to work hard in school, it can show up as, well, if I know I'm going to fail, why try? which actually failure means anything less than 100%. Or, you know, if I know I'm going to get a bad grade, then why even bother? Or I'll never be as good as my mom, my sister, the smartest kids in school, whatever. So why bother? It's this idea that there's a limited amount of success to go around and I either have it or I don't. So you can hear kids talking about like, well, I'm just dumb or I'm not good at math that's perfectionism. It doesn't seem like it, but it's this black and white thinking that people are either good at math or bad at math. And I didn't win that card. So I'm just not even going to try. I'm not going to put forth effort. So perfectionistic thinking is fear masquerading as apathy. Parents who also have perfectionistic thinking can fuel this fear without realizing it. When our kid does their homework and we find more for them to do, then that might be perfectionism. When they get B's and we want to see A's, we might be fueling it because we have perfectionist ideas about what success looks like. When we have the belief that they aren't quite good enough or they're not quite doing enough, then it's not unusual to see kids rebel against the parental expectations by not caring, right? Because it's like impossible to please us because our expectations are so high or no matter how well they do, we're still, it's still not good enough. And so the kids are like, well, if I can't please my mom and dad, it's never good enough, then why even try? So that's what I'm calling perfectionism and it can manifest as apathy. Number three, (laughs) I got this from Challenge Success, which is an organization out of Stanford. And they do, I've listened to a lot of their, um, oh, back when we could go in person and listen to them talk. And they've got really high quality stuff for educators and parents. To quote them, the third reason why a child might be showing signs of apathy is something they call my child, my masterpiece. Our culture tends to promote enmeshment and codependency between parent and child. When a parent ties their child's academic achievements to their success as a parent, it might feel normal because everybody else is doing it, but it also creates a difficult dynamic for the adolescent. Teenagers are wired to separate from their parents. When we see kids and teens uh, forming different opinions, different values and interests than ours, it's a healthy sign 
We want our kids to form an identity that is separate from us. This will prepare them for adulthood. You know, they've got their own values, their own interests, their own opinions. They might come back around to ours someday, but developmentally, this is very appropriate because it helps the kid separate that they are a different person who can stand on their own and doesn't need their mom and dad to guide them every step of the way. So kids usually start out wanting to please their parents. But when parents care a lot about grades and are highly invested in their child's academic achievements, kids may fail on purpose just to prove they are independent just to prove that they have different ideas and opinions than their parents, they might just go the opposite way. So if mom wants their kid to get a high score on a test and the kid gets a high score, mom feels successful, which doesn't make the kid feel like it's their victory. It kind of feels like they threw mom a bone. (laughs) If a kid fails, Mom feels like a failure, which somehow makes the kid feel victorious. Do you see where I'm going with this? I have seen many kids take advantage subconsciously. Of course, they don't realize they're doing it, but they're taking advantage of this enmeshment and choosing apathy as a way to get their parents off their back. For parents to learn how to release our ego attachment to our child's grades and focus on our own success as a mom, it's difficult. We are so hooked in and we get the emails every day that says what your child has and has not accomplished and that the assignments that they're missing and the schools, this is why I say it's a cultural thing. The schools are really feeding into this you know, parents need to know, parents need to be involved in their child's academic life. So it's a tricky thing. You know, we look at our friends whose kids are doing well in school. We're like, wow, like that parent achieved a great goal. So everyone's kind of feeding into this idea that a child's success is the parent's success. So in one of the things that my leading your teen coaching program, one of the things we work on is how to love more, but care less. How to love our kid as they are today, apathetic and unmotivated, and care less how they show up at school with their grades. Because that way, your kid can take full ownership over their victories and successes and not need to sabotage their grades in order to get their parents to back off. If we are trying to understand a child's lack of motivation, it could be summarized by saying they don't have a strong enough why. Why get up early in the morning, sit on a hard chair inside four concrete walls, and listen to someone drone on about a topic you aren't interested in? Why do that? Why learn about a subject you will never use again? And I know parents are like, no, no, no. If I'm going to retile the living room floor, I'm going to use that geometry class. <laughs> don't, don't, don't play that card. <laughs> don't argue that. Chances are they're learning stuff they are never going to use again. Why read a book when you can watch the movie? 
Why struggle through math equations when the answers are on the internet? Why waste thousands of dollars going to college when classes are available for free or cheap? Anything you want to know is available to you. Why bother? These are excellent questions to ask your kids. You can give them your answers, but I think it's better to ask them, why? Why should you even go to school? What's the point? Because the answers they're going to give you are going to show you their values. Do they value being seen as smart and capable? Do they put up with history so they can get to PE? Is it their friends at school that make going to school worthwhile? Do they want the teacher to like them? Is it drama and band that make the rest of the school day tolerable? Is it better than sitting at home staring at a screen with your mom nagging in your ear? (laughs) It doesn't matter, right? The important thing is that motivation is individual to the person. And it can change in an instant. Like just because you're not motivated junior year does not mean you're not going to be motivated senior year. Something might happen to spark you discovering a really good why. And the thing that's going to motivate a teenager is probably not the same thing that's going to motivate an adult. So I wasn't really motivated to do well in high school. I graduated with probably a two, I think it was 2.8 or 2.6, something like that. I loved Spanish and drama because I loved people. I was going to school every day and I was trying to do my best because I wanted to be around people, but I wasn't interested in any of the subjects that were being taught to me. I like to learn practical tools, tools that make everyday life more enjoyable. So that was my thing. What's practical that I can use? I liked public speaking because that was practical. I was using it immediately. When I got to college and I started to take more and more subjects that were aligned with my interests, then good grades were a natural result. I was never motivated to get good grades because it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't, I didn't, there was was no upside. So it doesn't mean they're not going to be successful in life. You, what probably can happen a lot of times is it triggers our own uh, ideals around what we think the path to success looks like. If you think it is a very narrow path and it involves good grades and working hard and pushing, pushing, pushing and making sure you please the teachers and you, you know, do all the steps to success, then that's just showing you what your values are. You followed that path and it worked for you. Your child and your teenager needs to find their own path and their own motivation. So what gets in our way from being at peace and allowing your kid to discover their own motivation in their own time? Well, the life coaching answer for today is parental anxiety, right? To just sit there and watch your kid be unmotivated, apathetic, not care, it triggers the fight or flight response in a lot of moms. I can't tell you how many I have coached who go into full-blown fight or flight just because their kid is relaxing on the sofa. It's our own anxieties that get in our way from being able to love more, care less, 
letting us, like allowing us to let go and trust our child to figure it out. Like nobody tops out in their teenage years. No one looks back at their adolescence and says, man, like that was the best I'll ever be. (laughs) I was at the peak of optimal living in my adolescence. No, because you're learning. We have to learn from mistakes. You have to learn by doing things wrong, by taking chances and flopping and falling on our face and being embarrassed. Like that's how we learn and develop compassion. So it's our own anxieties that get in our way from allowing our kids to discover their own motivation. So here's what usually happens. Your kid comes home from school and says they're going to go to their bedroom to do homework. An hour later, you look and you see them on YouTube, TikTok, Netflix, whatever. A surge of adrenaline moves through your body. It's just this instantaneous anxiety response causing you to lose your mind. We yell, we threaten, we argue. When we do this, it discharges our anxiety. It feels better. We're like, you need to get buckled down and focus right now. And you, it's so important. You got to email your teacher, whatever. And so we kind of feel a little bit relieved afterwards, but it doesn't tend to give us the results we want, which is our child finding their own motivation and doing it because they want to do it. Right. So then we feel like we're constantly having to monitor their grades, their homework. It puts us in the driver's seat of their academic career, which then they're not motivated to achieve because it feels like it's ours and not theirs. So what we want to do instead is we want to recognize that this just triggers our anxiety. This isn't about our kid. This is about what we're making it mean when we see our kid not doing their work. They're going to fail. I'm not doing my job. I'm failing. I'm not a successful mom. I need them to care about this so I can stop caring so much. I can't relax until their homework is done. So they need to get it done now. These grades are the pathway to success and they refuse to get on the path. These are some of the thoughts that go through our head right? That your teachers, your family, your friends are all going to think that we are losers if you don't get good grades. And so our thoughts about the circumstance is are very dramatic. <laughs> and that's what's sending us into this fight or flight response, making us feel like we must say something now. So instead, when you feel the surge of adrenaline, close your mouth, walk away. Do not try to talk to your child from this anxious place because you will not get the results you are looking for. You want to find a way to discharge the anxiety that also leaves you feeling proud of yourself, pleased with yourself, and or productive. At least let it be something that's productive and gives you a good result. So when you speak from anxiety, it drives a wedge further in the relationship between you and your teen, and you'll miss the opportunity to model what it looks like to take responsibility and, you know, kind of do your own personal work. So we don't want to put our ability to feel like a peaceful, successful parent into the hands of an apathetic, unmotivated kid. That is a recipe for frustration and powerlessness. So we want to take back the ability to feel like a peaceful, successful parent and not 
give your teenager the power. So how do we do this? (laughs) Well, first we resist the impulse to discharge the anxiety by getting annoyed with the kid. Then we go for a walk, go for a drive, write in a journal, do an exercise video, do some frenetic house cleaning, right? This is a fight or flight response. So you want to do something that's like active and movement and discharges, maybe like call a friend, vent to somebody, wrestle with your younger child, stomp on cardboard boxes. It's something that allows it to discharge, okay? Write a letter to your child in your journal, but don't send it, okay? Your brain is in that fight or flight response, so you don't have access to logic until you've discharged that energy. Once you've calmed down, see if you can figure out why this lack of motivation scares you. Your hint (laughs) when you go looking is it's going to be something about the future or something about the past. So you're either futurizing and catastrophizing, saying him not being motivated now is a sure path to a dreary, horrible future where he's miserable and never has you know, quality relationships, never finds gainful employment. You're, you're going down the futurizing, catastrophizing rabbit hole. Or you're thinking back to your high school experience and how you felt in a negative way and how your answer, how you solved the negative emotion was to get really good at succeeding in grades and high pressure. And you equated all that hard work and pressure to your success in life. And you're like, I know how to be successful. It looks like this blood, sweat, tears. (laughs) So You notice it's either the past or the future. You bring yourself back to the present moment by listing facts that you know to be true about your kid. For example, my kid has a 2.5 GPA. He is a sophomore in high school. He chooses video games over reading books. Nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10. He doesn't argue about going to soccer practice. That's something to notice, right? That's a sign that he's not apathetic about everything. He asked to go camping over spring break. That's a fact. And it's one that's countering the apathetic label. He wants to go camping. Okay, so that's showing some interest. So you're going to list true facts about your child so that you can come back into the present moment and tune into who your child is today. The best way, mamas, the best way to motivate your teen is to give them a vision of adulthood that looks appealing. When we are stressed out, overworked, and anxious, teens become disinterested in following in our footsteps. If we aren't making adulthood look appealing to a teenager, they're not going to choose it. (laughs) They're going to opt out. They're going to think, I am going to do the opposite of whatever my mom says because she's such a crazy person. Okay? You got to think like a teenager sometimes. And maybe start having a little more fun. 
start enjoying your life more so that your teenager looks at it and says, oh, yeah, my mom's having a good time. I believe what she says. I'm going to follow her advice because she's making it look fun. Okay, today's super mom kryptonite is thinking you have to figure it out on your own. With information at our fingertips, it is really easy to believe the toxic thought, I should be able to figure this out on my own. This might sound logical. I've got information out the wazoo. But notice how it makes you feel when you think, okay, I just listened to this podcast about how to help my teen find motivation, what he needs, how to let go of my own anxiety. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to follow Tori's steps and I'm going to be calm and peaceful. And I'm going to take my power back and I'm going to focus on creating a good life for myself. And I'm going to love more, care less. And you think, yeah, I can do that. Three days later, you're back to yelling at your kid watching the information come in about his grades and assignments and which one's missing. You're in the major fight or flight. And you think, I should be able to figure this out on my own. What's wrong with me? That is why it is today's Supermom Kryptonite. Because the thought, I should be able to figure this out on my own, and I can't, and I'm not, makes you feel worthless and like a failure. So, <laughs> I learned this because I used to read a lot of parenting books. I loved them. I loved learning about kids and kind of getting the insight into a child's brain or a teenager's brain and what do they like and what motivates them. But then I noticed about two weeks after I read the book, I would feel defeated and inadequate. I feel like I wasn't doing it right. I wasn't able to figure it out. I was still back to my old patterns. And so I might feel empowered and confident right after, and I'd have all these tools and tricks. I was so excited, but I would go back to my old ways. So if learning what to do isn't actually helping you get the results you want, it's time to hire someone to help you. You don't have to do this all on your own. We waste so much time and energy thinking we should be able to figure things out on our own when the solution may simply be having an expert by our side to uncover our blind spots and help us overcome our resistance. Why do we offer a tutor to a child who struggles with math? There are workbooks, there's websites, there's video games that help them do math. We could play games with them every day that teach math skills, right? You know someone else that could help them. Why do we hire a math tutor? Why are private tutoring companies thriving right now in this economy? Because nothing is faster and more effective than personalized learning with a compassionate human who is invested in your success. Why sign your kids up for swim lessons when you can teach them yourself? Because nothing is faster and cheaper and more effective than getting you the results that you want than personalized learning with a compassionate human who's invested in your success. I was talking with a friend yesterday who told me she'd been working with a meditation teacher for the last four weeks. Meditation 
is sitting still and practicing thinking about nothing. I cannot imagine a more illogical thing to ask for help with. And yet, she said it made a huge difference. Knowing someone was invested in her success, helping her identify obstacles and overcoming her resistance proved to be extremely valuable to getting her the results she wanted. So just because it's not logical doesn't mean it's not helpful. Beware of the toxic thought, I should be able to figure this out on my own, and focus instead on what is the quickest, most effective way to get the results that I want. Chances are that hiring someone who is invested in your success is the answer. Today's super mom power boost. What can we do to give us a boost of energy is to hire people to help you get the results you want in your life because it allows everyone to operate in their zone of genius. So today's super mom power boost is to discover your zone of genius and help other people find theirs. So this term comes from a book by Gay Hendricks, actually a couple of his books. And he identifies there are four zones. There's the zone of genius, the zone of excellence, the zone of competence, and the zone of incompetence. When I spend my time cleaning my house, I am operating in my zone of competence. I can do it. It's not utilizing my highest skill set. I grumble and complain. I cut corners and then feel resentful that I'm the only one working. But I can do it. I could get better at it if I wanted to. I could watch YouTube videos on how to clean more effectively and efficiently. But it's not some an area in which I want to grow. It's not in my zone of genius, nor do I want it to be. But when my house cleaner comes, she is a whirlwind of tidy efficiency. She sees things I don't see. She takes the time to tidy things I would never even think to tidy up. She gets under, over, and inside. She treats my home like her personal work of art. She fixes, she beautifies, and blesses my home with her cheerfulness. I don't know if it's her zone of genius, but she sure appears to be pleased when she leaves my house. If I was to think, I could do it myself, and so I should. I should be able to do this on my own which I did think that for many years when I came to cleaning my house, right? I should be able to do this. I shouldn't need anyone else's help. Then I would be robbing her of the opportunity to do the work she seems to love and she's very good at. If you really want to feel successful in your life and you feel like you're using your gifts and your talents to make the world a better place, then try to spend as much time as possible in your zone of genius and find opportunities to allow others to operate in their zone of genius. I can take photos of my kids and sometimes they turn out okay, (laughs) but I love hiring photographers to work their magic and see how much better theirs turn out and how their creativity and their ability to like notice lighting and things I wouldn't notice. So hiring life coaches to give you the results that you want in your life or the relationship that you want with your teens 
is also giving other people the opportunity to be in their zone of genius. I think the great resignation that has been happening in 2021, people quitting their jobs, finding new jobs, I think it's indicative of more people moving closer to their zone of genius. They're leaving jobs that aren't as fulfilling for ones that are more in line with who they want to be. I think everybody's getting on the bandwagon. So I invite you to figure out what your zone of genius is by letting other people be in theirs, start noticing. It's really easy to get stuck in your zone of excellence and your zone of competence, okay? Because people count on you. They think you're good at it. Uh, you can do it quickly and easily sometimes where other people might be longer. But just because you're good at it does not mean it's worth your time. And the way you know is if it makes you just come to life and feel fully invigorated and alive. So delegate activities that you do not love to others who do and hire a coach to help you spend more time in your zone of genius. Today's quote of the day. One of the most important things we do for our children is to present them with a version of adult life that is appealing and worth striving for. Madeline Levine from Challenge Success. Go check her out. Read her books. I highly recommend. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I will love you and leave you and hopefully see you in one of my classes that are coming up this winter. Take care. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.